podcasting from the great city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, home of the National Constitution Center. This is the TeacherCast Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Bradbury, and welcome to another episode of the TeacherCast Podcast from TeacherCast.net. The TeacherCast Podcast is a weekly show where we discuss the 21st century technologies that teachers need to utilize in their 21st century classrooms. Today's show is all about our students. We have two great guests with us today, and we are going to try to discover some of the ways that we can start the year off positively with our students and talk about the ways that technology can help keep our students on task as we prepare for the long road ahead of us. Our panel tonight consists of not only classroom teachers, but educators who really know all about the ins and outs of technology. From the great state of New Jersey, we have Principal Eric Scheniger. How are you doing, Eric? Uh, very good, thank you. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you a principal these days? Uh, I'm a principal at New Milford High School, which is located in Bergen County, New Jersey. Uh, the town itself is two square miles and about 10 minutes west of the George Washington Bridge. And uh, how many students do you have in your school? Uh, about 670. Nice, nice. I know you are ready for the school year. Uh, we're getting there. When do you guys go back? Uh, teachers come back September 1st. Students come back on the 6th. Bet everyone's looking forward to it. Yes. Also joining us on the program today, we have Stephen Anderson. How are you doing today, Stephen? Good. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so I'm a district instructional technologist for Winston-Salem Forsyth County Schools in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, my primary role is I work with our superintendent, assistant superintendents, and our school leadership on technology integration and creating technology visions with our schools. Very nice. And, and when do you guys go back to school? Um, our teachers come back next Tuesday, and our kids come back on the 25th. Excellent, excellent. Is it a, is it a big program that, you, uh, that you're in charge of? Um, I have we we have, we're a school district of about fifty three thousand students, uh, seven thousand staff members, eighty schools. It's a, so it's uh, it's it's pretty big. It's a lot of accounts to keep track of. Yeah, it's a lot to do. Well, thank you guys both for being on the program. It's uh, it's a privilege and a pleasure to have both of you on. So we're looking at technology today. We're looking at helping our students with technology. We're looking at helping our teachers' technology. Um, what are some of the interesting things that have maybe happened in the last couple months that we can look forward to using in our classrooms? I know we just had this big Google Plus boom that's starting up. Twitter's being um, you know, really promoted in our classrooms. Where do you see technology these days in reference to you know, our educational system? For, for years and years and years, um, we, we were tool-focused. And now we're moving into a period where we're moving away from tool is the, the center of our focus into more, you know, we're instructional technologists first. So instruction comes first in our title. So we're, our focus is on content. Tools are important, um, but in terms of how kids and what kids should be learning, they are, uh, they, they should be what we say is the, the last thing that we do. So we, we, believe very heavily in this model called TPAC, which there, there, there are three types of, of knowledge that, that teachers can bring to the table. You, you've got content knowledge, you've got pedagogical knowledge, 
and you've got uh, technology knowledge. And so what, what we aim to do is create a teacher who is at the sweet spot, who has all three, or generally you'll find that they have two of the three. So we want to create teachers who have all three of those areas. And, and the way we do that is we get them focused on their content, get them focused on how they're teaching, and then we throw some technology in at the end to, 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 make, to, to make lessons um, easily more accessible for students, but technology isn't the focus. But we're, we're seeing, um, in, in our district, we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing that push, but in, in terms of what technologies our kids are actually using, um, we, do, we have a lot of interactive whiteboards, we have a lot of interactive clicker systems, um, I just rolled out um, tablets to our administrators. We just put Galaxy tabs in their hands um, to do some things with PLCs. Um, and for our kids, you know, we're we're having a big push for social media this year. So getting kids involved in understanding, you know, what appropriate use of technology is through social media. And we're doing a big push with a, an, an Edmodo rollout. So all of our schools are going to be on Edmodo and all of our students are going to have accounts to um, to grow that community. So we're seeing that we're we're seeing and across the, the country and across the world, we're seeing the shift. Or we should be seeing the shift away from the tool focus into more of the content focus where the, the tool is the afterthought. It's, you know, we my, my boss said something very funny yesterday is we don't take markers and we don't do professional development around markers or pencils. We don't teach teachers how to do that, but we, we've done that with technology for so long. And, and we need to get back to a point where we're focused on content and we're using all of our available resources to understand and to learn how to use technology and then integrate that in with our content. Eric, are you finding that teachers are trying to recreate the same lessons they've been doing year after year just with new technology? Or are you finding that your staff is trying to recreate the wheel a little bit? I wouldn't say recreate the wheel. Um, you know, we're, we really place an emphasis on establishing a sound pedagogical foundation. And once you have that, then moving into integrate technology to further authentically engage students during the instructional process. And, you know, the five main characteristics you would say that we focus on or is what we're looking towards in the new year is for students to create, for them to be involved, to engage in discussions, and to use social media and Web 2.0 tools to measure and promote. So where we're, we're taking a more, I would say, gradual process in terms of integrating technology, and it's really about empowerment. You know, with us, we don't mandate technology use, but as we saw last year, when teachers were put in a position through support, creating flexible learning environments, um, so on and so forth, that we created a learning culture, teaching a learning culture that empowered them to take risks and be innovative, especially with technology. And what we started to see was an increase in the use of social media and Web 2.0 technology, you know, simple tools such as Glogster, Poll Everywhere, uh, Wordle, VoiceThread, um, use of, you know, mobile learning devices. And what we saw was, you know, when you establish the, when all the criteria or the parameters are established to get your staff comfortable with the fact that, you know what, I can teach. I know I can teach. I have the support of my administrators. But if I integrate different types of technology into well-designed lessons, the students will be much more engaged 
and you know you allow them to then work at the higher highest levels of Bloom's taxonomy, where it used to be evaluation, and now it's creation. And when students are put in a position where they're able to use the digital tools of their generation to demonstrate learning, it really creates a, a powerful uh, culture in the school. And you know we're so excited, you know, discussing the possibilities that we have you know, moving forward, and we really take the approach that, you know, the sky's the limit um, as far as integrating technology. Are you finding there's a lot of teachers out there that really want to use these technologies, and, you know, I just got this iPad, I don't know what to do with it, or are you finding that teachers are already coming in with a, with a little bit of a toolbox, and they're just looking to put the icing on the cake for their lessons? Well, it's really a mixed bag. It really depends on the group of teachers you're, that you're discussing. Um, on one end, you have new teachers that are coming in. And, and one of the things that I focus on uh, during the interview process, one of my key questions is explain to me how you would effectively integrate technology into your instruction. And I have them you know, discuss that and then walk me through different types of technologies that they would utilize to meet you know, an essential question uh, or objective or learning outcome. And then on the other hand, I have my veteran staff members who are very open to the idea of using technology because we don't force it upon them. Now, the problem comes, and, you know, Steve might be able to add some more, shed some more light on this, is that when you look at professional development in terms of how do we create a 21st century teaching and learning environment, Professional development um, on a national level really has not caught up. Um, there's still a focus on more or less traditional uh, methodologies and strategies that uh, we focus on during our, uh, whether it's our undergrad or graduate training, and there really isn't a robust platform for exposing teachers to these 21st century tools, let alone showing them how to effectively integrate it across the curriculum. And I think that's an area that over the next, you know, year or, you know, years, we're going to see a, a big push or increase in as more people understand the importance of technologies in a 21st century classroom. Do you think a lot of teachers these days are looking at uh, devices like an iPad as a tool or as a toy? Well, it really depends on how you communicate um, different technologies in your district, your community. Um, I think on the outsiders looking at education, they see the iPad as a toy. And it's really focusing on how are we going to use this as a tool for learning. I would say in my school, because of what I feel is effective modeling on not only my behalf, but my administrative team, they see the iPad as an administrative tool. We model it by doing our classroom walkthroughs with it and you know, communicating, so on and so forth. But you know, for the teachers, it's really sitting down with them, exposing them to different applications that they can utilize, um, whether it be on their own, to, you know, for their own professional growth and development or for student learning. Steve, you said that you're in charge of your entire district's technology? Um, so I'm I'm a district instructional technologist, but I, I work with. We, there are seven of us, and we we all have different projects that we focus on. But my main my main project is to take care of, you know, our senior leadership, our superintendent, assistant superintendents, and our school principals on helping them develop uh, instructional technology in their schools. Now, 
maybe you can break this down by you know district staff, administrative staff, and even student teacher staff. But um, I guess I'm asking the horse and cart question. Are you are you going to your to your teachers and staff going, you know, try Edmodo, try Twitter, try social media, or do you find more often they're coming to you saying, hey, I just heard of Edmodo, how do we integrate it in our classroom? So we used to do both, and now we're doing neither, if that makes sense. So we, we used to um, go, we used to, you know, this time of the year, we would contact all of our, you know, our, our the, the other folks on, on our staff would contact their principals, and they would say, hey, um, here's what here's the, all the things that I think that we can offer you this year. Um, or a principal would call and say, "Hey, I want my teachers to have you know Google Earth training." And that's really kind of the backwards way to do it. And so what we're really encouraging and strong and strongly encouraging uh, with our with our staff and with our administrators is that we need to be in and we need to see what teachers are actually teaching. Um, and so we're going to be spending a lot of time in their, their, their PLC meetings um, and in their, their curriculum meetings and seeing, you know, where are you taking your curriculum? You know, where are your kids going to be a week from now, two weeks from now, a month from now? What are you going to be teaching them? How do you want to teach them? How can we, so how, what technologies can you use to help support those activities? And then if you need help with learning how to use those technologies, that's where we can really step in and we can offer assistance in terms of our, our online programs that we offer. We have a huge catalog of, of Moodle courses that we do. We have access to a lot of on, uh, other online instructional videos. Um, the Simple K-12 Teacher Learning Community is a really big help to us. And so that's where we're, we're really seeing professional development not done in, in sort of the sit and get anymore. Um, teachers don't want sit and get. There, there are, now, there are some who do want that that face-to-face instruction, and we'll do some of that, but, but really what we're finding is that, is that teachers want to do professional development when they need to do professional development, and so we've, we've invested a lot of time and effort in creating ways for them to, to get that on-demand professional development and, and invested a lot of money in, 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 in creating those and, um, and offering those them to them. But the, the other thing that we try and stress is that beyond all those things that our district offers, you know, we, we've got this wonderful world of social media out there that they can take advantage of, you know, that you can jump on Twitter and you can uh, you can follow a particular hashtag or you can join a, a Ning or you can uh, join another, you know, social networking community or, or, or find something where there are people who have similar interests or similar, who teach similar subjects who are sharing information, who are, you know, talking about lessons, things like that. So we're seeing that shift away from here's what I need or here's what I want to give you to what are you teaching and how can how can technology be a small part of that? Eric, how does your district uh, work with professional development and getting teachers? Where, where does the chicken and the egg land? Are the teachers well, asking you for help or are you telling the teachers, hey, try Twitter? Well, it's very interesting that you just brought that up. Um, you know, one of my discussions last year with my uh, my teacher leaders was how do we create an environment where teachers are passionate and excited about engaging in professional development, um, you know, on a routine basis? What we found was the conversation stemmed from the fact that I had created um, a whole slew of professional development opportunities that I did the training myself. Um, based on a Google Doc, Google form that I sent out to see what my teacher were interested in. And when I went through with setting them up, the attendance wasn't what I expected it to be. It, quite frankly, it was a little bit low. 
So we just started discussing about how we could change this. And, and one of my teachers suggested that, you know, if we had more of a business-like model where professional development was embedded in the day, teachers would have more time to, you know, explore using various technologies, using social networking, um, so on and so forth. So what I spent the summer doing with my administrative team is we looked at how we could free up time during the school day. And what we came up with was we saw that we have non-instructional duties, cafeteria duty, hall duty, in-school suspension duty, where teachers every day for one period a day, every day of the week, are engaged in these non-instructional duties. To make a long story short, we, we were able to dra- dramatically cut down the non-instructional duties for every teacher to free them up during the school day for embedded professional development. So, for example, now every teacher in my building for a minimum of two to three periods a week, that's 48, you know, our periods are 48 minutes, so two to three 48-minute periods a week are now released from their duty. They're being covered by myself and my rest of my administrative team to engage in professional development. And it's sort of like a little bit of a mix. We all, we've uh, decided to move forward with a program called PD3, uh, PD360. We've also uh, had a discussion, and it looks like we're getting our teachers also signed into um, Simple K-12's uh, teacher learning community. And besides engaging in professional development using those online services, teachers are also going to be provided the flexibility to experiment with different technologies, work on creating innovative uh, interdisciplinary units with other staff members. And we're just really, really excited about now the main uh, barrier to professional growth and development we now have overcome by providing a time during the school day. Now, these professional development opportunities for your teachers, and, and this is going after both of you, are they taught by the tech people or are they taught by other teachers who are interested in that subject area? Well, before Steve answers, my answer is pretty simple. We, we don't have a Steve Anderson uh, in our district. So we don't have an educational technologist. So basically, they're either taught by myself or one of my few teacher leaders that have um, evolved into an expert with a particular technology. Okay. Yeah, and so we, you know, we have obviously there are, there are seven of us, so we do the the vast majority of that training. But if we see that a teacher has a strength, we will bring them in and have them do a webinar, or we'll bring them in and have them, you know, facilitate a Moodle course. So it's not just us because. For, for a school district of 80, 80 plus schools, there are eight of us, and we lost half of our, we had, we had a, a technology facilitator in every building last year. This year, we have them in every other building. So going from, a, from being able to rely on 80 people at the school level to 40 people at the school level, having those teachers involved is going to be huge for us, but that's where we're also relying on some of these on-demand things. Um, like mentioned, like Eric mentioned, Simple K twelve, and we, we use Atomic Learning, and um, you know, building out a, this huge Moodle um, course uh, coursework that that teachers can take part in. They can join anytime, or they can do they can do set courses, or they can do anytime courses. So we're trying to make it as easily accessible to them as possible, because the easier it is for them to actually learn how to, to do the technology. And if we combine that with showing them how it fits into their 
curriculum and teaching them how that it works with their, their content, the more likely they are to continue to use it. Because what we see is that when we do traditional sit and get, it's, it's not has it's not been such a big success that you'll have one or two teachers that will take it away and be like, yeah, I'm going to go use that. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this in my classroom. And the other ones are just, they, there's so many different learning levels in those sit and gets that, that it's, it's hard to meet everybody's needs. So being able to do some of this on demand stuff and not to say we're totally eliminating face to face because we're not, uh, but we're, we're relying more on teachers initiative to go out and to learn some of these things when they need to learn them. You know, I'm glad that you brought some of these topics up, guys, because you know one of the things behind doing a channel like TeacherCast, it's not about saying that this app is good or this app is bad. I, I like to take us from the angle of how do I want to use this in the classroom, and I write all the reviews of what are some of the lessons and activities you can use these apps for. So it's really nice to hear that you guys are not only showing what is Edmodo or what is Moodle, but you're actually going into how do you implement that in your classroom? Is that an easy switch or do you think the student or do you see the teachers starting to get it once they have a few minutes with the software or? Well, that's what, that's what we're seeing is that if we're spending time in their content area. So if I'm going into a room of, of teachers and I'm talking to them or even my principals, because we just, we have a principals group in Edmodo now. And so going into them and saying you as a principal, this is, you know, we'll show you how to use the tool, but as a principal, how can this help you? How, how can this help you as a principal? But, you know, having this group that you can you post messages to and share articles and communicate with each other and share files, and you can do that all in your own little group. And we'll do the same thing with math teachers, and we'll do the same thing with English teachers, and we'll do the same thing with third grade teachers. But we, we try and break it out by content area where we're not quite so... So focused on grade, we're focused on content because our, our content is already broken out by grade. So if we're, if we're focusing on third grade math and I go meet with those third grade math teachers at one of our schools and we say, I say, you know, oh, you're going to be doing geometry in, in three weeks. Well, here are some activities that you can do with geometry. And oh, by the way, here are some different technologies that you can use. And hi, here's how you can go learn about those technologies. And so that, that's the shift that we're kind of in the middle of right now. You're mentioning Edmodo, Steve. Is that a free program for the school, or is that something that has a subscription based? Totally free, um, and we they, Edmodo even makes it possible for you to brand your district. So you know we have wsfcs.edmodo.com. So if you're in the district and you type in Edmodo, it takes you right to our Edmodo page. Um, we have school codes for every school, and, and and they've been Edmodo wants schools to use this, so they it's offer completely free. There's no cost to us. They do all the training for free. They send us all the materials for free. Um, and we're, we're really seeing already in just one day, having just those principles in there right at this point, because our teachers haven't come back yet, but even just seeing the discussion of, with our principals, you know, uh, in, in just less than a day that they've already gone in there and embraced it and are, are posting and sharing and talking and doing lots of different things. I think that's wonderful. We've had a lot of guests come on here and talk about Edmodo. Could you briefly, in maybe a small paragraph, just tell us what is Edmodo? Because I think there's a lot of misconsumptions of what it is and what it isn't. It's a cl- enclosed private social network that classrooms, schools, and districts can use. It, it's The way we describe it is that when you, if you look at an Edmodo page, it looks like a Facebook page with a a box to post at the top and a news feed below. But you can join, you, you can create individual groups and you can join individual communities. And 
So, like, if I'm a teacher, if I'm a language arts teacher, I, and I'm teaching a unit um, where I'm having students do literature circles, I can create groups for my literature circles where only those students can see each other's postings, and they can carry on a conversation outside of the classroom about their book. So they're not bound by the eight to four that they're in school. They they can do they, they can do that learning anytime. And so it, it and again it's private so that it, you only allow the people who you want to see to see it based on codes and things like that. Uh, and so uh, it's very helpful for our principals. As we really think it's going to be. We already have teachers who are using it. Um, there, there's just an article that came out in our local paper today about a teacher in kindergarten or kindergarten. So. And that's, you know, if kindergartners can do it, certainly principals can do it. So that was a big motivator for them. And there's a really neat uh, iPhone, iPad app that just came out for it, correct? Yeah, and Android, too, because we're, we're an Android district. So um, we, we just gave them all their Galaxy tabs, and the, we, we had them download the Edmodo app, and so that's how they all got registered. Now, uh, Eric, talk to us a little bit about social media. Where do you think the country is, or where do you think our school districts are with embracing social media in our schools? I th- I think we're we're really behind, <laughs> um, immensely behind, and uh, is that know, mostly out of fear? Well, I think yeah, partially it is it is fear. Um, basically, uh, a lot of administrators are very timid to move forward social media because of the fear of litigation um, or you know inappropriateness. You know, you look at what's happening in Rhode Island and Missouri with these quite frankly, ridiculous laws curbing the use of social media and basically, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, showing to the students that you know social media is more inappropriate and what does that send the message? It basically tells kids that, you know what, let's keep doing what we're doing. No, one, you know, no one's teaching digital responsibility and digital citizenship. When I speak to principals across the country, actually the real telling sign was – I gave a, a session uh, for the New Jersey Department of Education, and there were about 400 people there. And combined total a number of administrators at my sessions when I talked about you know improving schools with social media was 13. So I have two different session times. Only 13 people showed up to my session on social media, which really put things in perspective of where it fell in terms of their individual priorities. Um, you know, so... All we can really do is keep modeling professional use, and you know I I can never go back to um, a leadership style that did not incorporate social media because of all of the very uh, what's the word I'm looking for substantial transformations that have occurred in my school as a result and the benefits that I'm seeing uh, to my students. And, and, you know, everyone always asks, well, everything you do with social media, what does it have to do with, you know, standardized test scores and all that? Well, I can't say for sure. Um, but you know, basically across the board, our, you know, state test scores, SAT scores and AP scores went up this year. And, you know, social media and technology is a big, part of our culture. Is it the reason why they went up? I, I can't say for sure. But are we effectively communicating what we are doing within the walls of the Milford High School? Yes. Are we communicating with, you know, not only members of our own country but other countries? Yes. Are students creating? Yes. Are we being, are we being engaged 
in thoughtful discussions like never before. Yes. So, you know, when you look at all the different positives, it really outweighs the negatives, but people will continue to hide behind the fear because it's the easy way out. Okay. I don't want to try something new because I don't have to. And here's a reason why. I'm just curious when you did your, your lectures for those 11 people, were they mostly positive on social media or negative on, on social media? Well, they didn't come out and say. Um, they, obviously, they all had an interest and wanted to be there. And the feedback I got after my presentation was extremely positive. But I can't say for sure. I would say they were sort of like on the fence. Mm-hmm. Let's talk money for a little bit. It, it's a hot topic, especially for us in New Jersey here, of budget shrinking and all. Um, Eric, what would you say – I'm going to ask Eric the question, then I want to ask Stephen the question, and we'll get into it a little bit. But Eric, what's the number one budget killer in your technology department? You mean what utilizes the most money? Correct. I would say replacing desktop computers. Okay. Stephen, what would you say your answer would be? Um, that's tough. Um, the purchasing of new equipment. Okay. I'm, I'm glad that those are the answers. The, the, the usual answer that I get is ink. And, and that brings up the next topic of, you know, how do we continue our journey to go paperless? Um, wh- where, where are you, Stephen, in getting your district to mostly go paperless and not eat up so much paper, ink, printer costs? We took out half the printers in all of our buildings. All 80 buildings lost half their, half their printers. <laughs> How'd you do that? Uh, we took them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, f- physically is the answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we we've gone to a, a print management system similar to um, what some colleges have done, where we we're not mon- at this point we're not monitoring what anybody's printing, but we do have a lot of waste, and I think any district or any school will say they have a lot of waste. Um, but we we have a, a management service that runs on all our printers that keeps an eye on how things are running and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, a lot of schools, what they do, because our schools have to buy their own ink and their schools have to buy their own paper. So some do better than others. Um, some schools will give you a case of paper for the whole year. When I was in the classroom, that's what my school did was they gave us a whole case of paper for the whole year. And if you wanted more, you went out and got it. Um, but what I think the biggest thing that's had an impact is as part of our tech, we, we have what we call the technology solution that we put in every classroom. As part of that solution, whether you get a, a at the elementary level, whether you get an interactive whiteboard, or at the, the middle high level, if you get um, a flat panel monitor um, and, and computer station in your classroom, everybody gets a document camera. So um, really impressing on teachers and how important it is to use that document camera, how versatile it is, and how you don't have to change anything. You can still use your overheads. You can still do everything that you already have. Um, but it really, if you're printing out a lot of stuff like worksheets for kids, then it's time to look inward and, and think about, would you want to be in a classroom if you're all you're doing is worksheets all day long? So trying to impress that upon our, our principals and being on the, the, the lookout for things like that and trying to change uh, culture. But changing culture is tough. And if you've got teachers who are used to printing everything every day multiple times, you know, changing that culture is tough. So um, but it's a slow process, but in taking out you know, on average, each building has 10 printers. So taking out five printers times 80, um, times 80 schools, 80 buildings, you know, 400 printers. So, uh, that has, that takes it, that has a huge dent. 
you know, in, in my school district, we've really tried to go paperless and for whatever reason, the teachers have been printing more stuff. In fact, our, our copier went over like a million copies by, you know, a couple of months into the program last year. And I just remember like every couple of days we had to have the Canon guy come in and get it. Um, Eric- well, and, that, that's, and that's why we think if we use something like Edmodo and we use these tools that we, that we're, we're rolling out and being able to post things on Twitter and, and to, um, and to school Edmodo sites and things like that and encouraging and say, if, if we can get the principal to say, all right, well, we're not going to be posting art. We're not going to be handing out agendas anymore. We're going to be even doing something simple as like emailing it and, and telling people don't print it or posting it in the Edmodo group, you know, things like that. If we can encourage them to use the tools that they already have. I mean, we've already seen just in this summer that we've done this, in our central office, we've seen a huge decrease in the amount of printing that's gone on because of the, the additional tools that we've rolled out with the, the online communities. Eric, in your district, are you finding it's easier to replace certain computer parts, or are you ask, are you, is your tech people just new computer, new computer, new computer? Well, no, basically, it's, it's my direction when we need new computers. For so long, things weren't replaced, and now we're at the point where we're, we're pretty well off. But, you know, when you look at technology and you look at a budget, you know, it really is, you know, I've had to create a sort of technology line item to be able to adequately support my teachers. So, you know, but let's now now we're looking at more like lease purchases, for example, that are, you know, more cost effective and such. But, you know, when I look at my budget beyond replacing, you know, computer labs, you then have... For example, any type of smart board system with a projector, the smart board, and things like that, with installation, you know, run a significant significant cost. Also, laptops. We have a MacBook uh, mobile cart, which cost a great deal of money um, to um, to finance. So now, how do I sustain that? How do I get more now that my teachers really love using the MacBooks as opposed to PCs? Sorry, Steve. I know you love your PCs. Um, <laughs> we're, just, we're just not a Mac district. So. Uh, you know, neither are we. We're, we, we embrace all types of <laughs> operating systems. Um, so, I mean, it's like getting more of those mobile carts because, you know what, we are not in a position to go one-to-one. But how do we get more devices for students to connect, create become involved, discuss, and do all these great things they can do with technology. But you know what? I'm thankful that we're pretty, you know, we're better off than some other districts. Nice, nice. Let, let's turn the conversation a little bit back onto professional development and these social medias and, and teaching our teachers how to embrace these new technologies. Uh, one of the hot topics that we've been having lately on, on the TeacherCast podcast here is, is student-driven accounts, you know, and the example is always at the beginning of the year, we expect our kids to go out and buy pencils, paper, backpack, etc. Should we be at the point now where we're asking our kids to come in with a Dropbox account or a Twitter account of their own? Or should they be having a Google Docs uh, account of their own? Um, what should we be asking or requiring our students to have? And, you know, we can break that down high school, middle, elementary if you want to. Well, I, I think it's a very sensitive issue just because of the varying socioeconomics within every district. Uh, I really think it's unrealistic to ask every student, you know, to come to school with a Dropbox account, Twitter, and not, you know, and understanding that, you know what, maybe they don't have that access at home. Um, I think at school, 
you can require them to establish their own accounts, for example, for Google Docs, because they could use that in school, you know, whether or not they have an account at home. But I think it's a very real sensitive issue requiring all students um, to, you know, be connected or, you know, engage with these technologies if you're not sure that they have that access at home. Do your, and this is for both of you, do your English teachers require that their term papers, whatever, be typed when they hand stuff in? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Now, how do we as schools suggest that students transfer these files back and forth? Um, Some say flash drives. Obviously, it doesn't work to burn things onto a CD, but... How how are you guys suggesting that students transfer? Well, well, see, I, I mean, at my school, at my particular school, we use Google Docs. But I'm just saying, it's not realistic for every school district. Just think about some of the districts in in New Jersey. Right. You know, do all of our students have that access? I'm very fortunate. My community does. Mm-hmm. But you know, we do use Google Docs, and we require the teachers and the students to have Google Doc accounts. But, I mean, I just think it's a sensitive topic when you, you know, we can't really say. I mean, I think it's a school-to-school basis on how you make a decision like that. Yeah, and I, I agree with Eric. I mean, in, in our high schools, we provide, I mean, we, we have a, a huge SharePoint server. So all of our high school students have access to their home directories anywhere anywhere in the world so they can log in through our web portals and they have access to their directory at school so they can be at home drop files in there and then have them when they when they get to school um it it really you know if we have kids who are coming in with created accounts i think we're missing an opportunity too to teach them about digital identities i'm a big proponent no matter the age of the student to use their real name so, and what I'm saying is, like in kindergarten, I'm not saying, oh, you're going to use your first name and last name, but if your name's Billy, I want your identity online to be Billy. So, because that teaches them they need to take ownership of who they are online, and they need to take ownership of who they are and what they do. And so, if they're already coming in with created accounts, we, I think we miss an opportunity with them. Now, if, if they've got email and stuff like that, that's fine, because our district doesn't provide email. I mean, we have you know, almost 70,000 email accounts to manage as it is. Um, and so it, it's, it's tough. Um, but like Eric said, access is an issue. Now, what we found in one of our schools, um, we did a big social media project with them last year, and, and whether or not it went forward depended on the access. And when we asked the, the, the parents, we got in contact with every parent in the building of a school of about 700 kids, and um, 96% of the students had access to a computer outside of school, an internet-connected computer outside of school. So uh, whether or not it was at home or a church or a community building or whatnot, we have a huge network of community centers that it, pretty much every kid in our county lives within two to three miles of a community center that, that they have access to from 6 o'clock in the morning till midnight um, that they can use that staff so that they have access to a computer. Um, but again, but that's not every, you know, every, every school doesn't have those same kinds of kids or, or has that same kind of access. So but like Eric said, it, it's tough. It's, it's a case-by-case basis. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't want any of our teachers creating them, like I said, because of the, the, the missed opportunity there. Let's talk about Google just a little bit. Um, Eric, correct me if I'm wrong here. You're a Google certified teacher? Uh, yes. What does that mean and how did you get that? Uh, well, um, 
back in uh, early 2009, Google advertised that they were having a Google Academy for administrators. So basically, um, administrators could apply to become, you know, go to the Google, be accepted to the Google Academy, go through a rigorous uh, day of training, and leave as a, a Google certified teacher. So I was there with uh, 50 other administrators from across the country. And we learned about how to effectively utilize a variety of Google tools uh, to improve, become more effective and efficient uh, as administrators. And I've taken that knowledge to help empower my teachers to be, I guess, more uh, Google-oriented when it comes to accessing information, creating Google sites to uh, have information available for their students, to communicate, and so forth. How do you feel about the new Google Plus so far? Um, I like it. Uh, I think there's great potential down the line in education because of the circles feature. Um, I'm still sort of lurking around seeing how other educators are using the service. And what I'm seeing is a lot of similarities, whereas, you know, it's not very personal. It's very professional in terms of the, the sharing of content, the discussions that are occurring. Um, I have participated in one uh, Google Hangout with uh, a class at Lehigh University, which was very interesting. So having a you know group video chat uh, feature for free, I think, is, is very exciting uh, for schools. So I'm just trying to get a few more of my teachers uh, excited about it, and then we'll see how we can further integrate it. Steven, how do you feel about Google Plus so far? Um, you know, for me, it's something else something else to keep track of. I mean, I have an account, but I, I run my own Google Apps domain, so um, and I'm using an old address that I haven't used in forever, um, so trying to keep track of it twice is, is not fun for me, but, um, you know, I think there's a lot of potential. Um, you know, and I did a live binder for educators on, on Google Plus and education, and I think if you read a lot of what's out there, like Eric said, there's a lot of that could be used there, especially with the features and the, even the Hangouts, because with with Skype, I mean, you, you can't do multiple video calls without a price. With with the Hangouts, you can you can have ten people in there, and so you could have ten classrooms that are connected to each other, or you could have um, you know ten ten kids from all over the world who are connected to each other, or you know whatnot. So I, I think there's there's a lot of potential there. I think we need to kind of see how it fleshes out and. And how you know maybe they'll do some different things with logins or whatnot with um, if they put it on the student apps domain. Um, but I, I like their push to to use your real name. I think that's important because again, I'm a big proponent of owning who you are online and not hiding behind um, your digital identity. Um, so you know, I think I think there's you know I think there's potential. Do you guys feel that we should be keep, keeping in the the sense of? your own identity, do you feel that we should be pushing our students to create brands or brand names for themselves, you know, through blogs, creating a wiki of themselves, um, putting out that, you know, teaching our students how to build that digital footprint for jobs, college, whatnot? Well, I think building a digital footprint's important. Branding themselves, eh, I don't know. I'm more concerned about utilizing these resources to maximize learning and achievement. Um, if branding comes about it, maybe in a business sort of class, but I think, yeah, we teach them digital citizenship responsibility and what their footprint means, 
But I, I don't know if our focus should be on creating or helping them establish their own brand as much as leveraging these tools to maximize learning. Steven, do you feel a lot of kids are out there blogging these days? Uh, blogging, probably not. Do you feel probably. a lot of kids are on Twitter? Um, you know, from, <laughs> if you, our district has a hashtag, and so if you follow our hashtag, um, you would see some pretty interesting things that kids are tweeting, <laughs> um, which is why my job of teaching Internet safety has become uh, very important and uh, branding. Um, I, you know, that... This, this, there's been such a shift in what media kids use. It's really difficult to predict where kids are and what they're using. So, you know, we've gone from the whole MySpace to Facebook to, to Twitter. I think, I think the vast majority of our kids spend a lot of time on Facebook, and I think that's where they are. And I, and I don't know that I necessarily believe that that's where classes need to be. You know, we don't need to be having... I don't know yet if we need to have classes in Facebook, but I think that having... Um, that communication and, and Eric is a perfect example of that with his school district and his or his school page and um, keeping that open line of communication. I think that's that's vitally important. But being able to predict what medium kids are using and where they're using it, it's it's tough because they they just they move from one thing to the net the next so fluidly. It's that's what makes it so tough for educators to try and figure out what is the best way to enrich the educational experience of this kid. Do I use Twitter or will they think it's just dumb? Or do I use, you know, do I communicate with them through a Facebook page or, you know, w what do I do? Where do I go? How do I best, you know, reach them where they are? Excellent. I, I, I want to hit one last topic here and I want to uh, pick up on something that Eric said. Um, Eric, am I correct in thinking that you're when you're when you walk around your building you have your tablet computer and your other administrative team members have their tablet computers correct correct um what apps are you using how how do you keep your administrative team you know productive what are what are some of the things that you're well, that you're um, pushing out well, there i basically the driving force between uh, that motivated us to get the ipads was to do our classroom walkthroughs and collect data to help, you know, drive teachers to, you know, reflect on their practices and, re, you know, rethink their lessons in order to, you know, increase student achievement. So we're using a program by Teachscape. So we're all using the app designed for the iPad to collect data. That are, you, are you using CWT? Yes. That's what, that's, that's what we use too. Yep, and we're very happy with that. But then we're also utilizing... Uh, we have a shared group board. There's an app called Group Boards, so we have a shared app between just the administrative teams, so we can do work on a whiteboard amongst ourselves. Uh, we use things such as Evernote, Dropbox, uh, our so uh, Digo, Delicious, you know, and just the the the, uh, the native note taking app on the iPad. When we're going, you know, we were looking at lockers one day, trying to find out, you know, which lockers weren't used and stuff, and we were just taking our notes on the iPad and then sharing it. So. You know, having that connectivity, we can pull up student data now from wherever we are in the building uh, with the iPad. We can even now pull up Board of Education policies and regulations um, that, you know, just, you know, through the Internet now on our iPad, which just makes our lives so much easier. So besides collecting data, accessing information has, has really, again, made us more effective and efficient. And then just sitting down with kids, having conversations about technology. It's a discussion starter when you're in the cafeteria with students. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really, 
a, a dynamic tool for us on a whole different variety of levels. What's your favorite app on your iPad these days? Oh, boy. Um, Top three. Pro- is, it, is, it is it something for your kids? Um, I was going to say professionally or personally. Um, I'll go with both. I, I'm, as we go through, I'm, I always do a list of websites that we've talked about, and I always do a list of apps. So the, well, the more shout-outs, the better. All right. My, my first one, my, uh, again, my three uh, productivity or professional, uh, Twitterific, uh, which is my Twitter app, uh, Feedler to access my RSS feeds, and uh, Dropbox um, or Docs to Go. I mean, there's there's so many different ones. Have you tried Dropbox Vox? Yeah, uh, Dropbox. No, 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 Dropbox. What it is? It's an audio recorder, but when you hit the stop button, it automatically takes that audio and puts it into your Dropbox account. No, never heard of it. It is so Just simple, it, no. and it completely saves you that feed. I use it all the time for my violin lessons and stuff. Oh, um, per, give, give us the three top personal ones. <laughs> ML, MLB TV is pretty good. <laughs> good. Uh, the the Direct TV uh, game day app to watch every football game is is pretty nice. Oh, but you know that one's uh, free, by the way. And um, you know my kids like Talking Tom. I've had a lot of people talk about Talking Tom. I've actually had a lot of people say that Talking Tom is great for foreign language teachers. Yeah, it is. Is yeah. I've heard that. I've heard that as well. So um, professionally, so Zite um, that aggregate, aggregates my my Twitter feed, RSS, and some other things, and pulls um, information that it thinks that I would find relevant. So I have different feeds set up for I have a feed for professional development, for education, ed tech, things like that. Um, believe it or not, Google Books because there are a lot of free um, scholarly mag you know articles and books out there that you know I, I need quick access to um and uh dropbox would probably be my my third one i i'm using evernote a lot but dropbox probably more than that great and your personal ones um so probably uh, a game called ticket to ride i'm a big games person okay um so uh ticket to ride i play a lot um tiger woods uh, PGA 12, um, and I'm really into these Back to the Future games. I'm, yes. such, a, I'm such a nerd, but uh, I, I'm really into that as well. I, I, a friend of mine has is on the design team for the Back to the Future and the uh, Jurassic Park game that's coming out, and I love playing those Back to the Future games. They're really oh, they're, neat. They're, they're incredible. Um, if you guys haven't seen them yet, uh, you know the Back to the Future games are out for, for Mac, PC, I think, and definitely for iPad, and they're very cute. They're very addicting. Um, I, I, I know I said less topic, but I want to hit one last thing because I know there's a lot of schools this year that are just getting into iPads. I know my school district just bought 100, and our IT guys are trying to find you know, out how do we do this. Um, what, is the, what is the latest policy these days from Apple or from the school districts as far as purchasing massive apps? Um, obviously, we can't buy one app and then put it out to 80 iPads. How are your schools doing that these days? And, that's, and I'm interested to hear a response to that because moving forward with tablet devices, I would love to know how schools are, you know. I know Apple's coming out with business purchasing or business licensing, educational licensing, but, but uh, Steve, what are your suggestions? How do you do it with the Android platform? So with, yeah, well, yeah, uh, I just, I sat one day and had to hand create 81 Google accounts and, um, 
download apps onto 81 devices because there's not a management way. They tell us that there's something coming, um, but in terms of all my devices that I have right now, I, they're basically an, an individual manage. Now, I know with, with, with Apple, they have educator volume licensing. Now, I'm not an Apple expert, but I, I work uh, with some people in some other districts who do, and um, they, they have ways that, that you can buy apps and then push them out to all your devices when they're plugged in and how they all have the same account and, and things like that. I wish that I had something like that when we set this up. Again, they tell me that it's coming, but I think that's kind of a place where they drop the ball. It, w- it would have been nice had they said, oh, you know what? These are going to be great learning tools. Let's figure out an easy way for schools to be able to set you know, a thousand of these things up rather than having to hand set up each one. Who gets the job of putting in all the incoming freshman email addresses and accounts? Um, well, we have we have a technical team that um, that does that stuff. You know, automatically they they have policies set up through our Active Directory and things like that. That that stuff happens automatically. Thank goodness for them. Um, but with our tablets, I hand set up for all our principals. I hand set up eighty of them in two days. That sounds great. Um, before we end, are there any uh, website shout-outs that you guys want to give? Um, Eric, tell us a little bit about how we can get a hold of you. Um, well, I have uh, my official website. Uh, it's ericsheninger.com and uh, basically has examples of every way, every which way we're utilizing social media at uh, New Milford High School. And what's your Twitter account? Uh, my Twitter account is nmhs underscore principal. Steven, how do we get a hold of you? So I have a, a blog, um, web20classroom.blogspot.com, um, where I talk a lot about technology, a lot about leadership and teacher reflection, um, and uh, you can find out about more about where I'm speaking and, and what I'm doing. Steven, what's your Twitter account? At web20classroom. At web20classroom. You know, if you guys are out there listening on Twitter, I would definitely recommend following these two. Well, thank you for listening to the TeacherCast podcast. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, TeacherCast.net, to your friends and colleagues. We can be found on Twitter at the screen name TeacherCast. Be sure to check out our iTunes channel for the TeacherCast podcasts and app reviews that are beneficial to you, the 21st century educator. If you like what you heard, please write us a great review and give us a five-star rating. This has been a TeacherCast production. Join us next time for another edition of the TeacherCast podcast. <laughs>